I'm marked by a couple of things. You know, we're, we're living in a a time of perversion. Our society in America is riddled with perversion. Now I'm reflecting back, you know, my dad was an airline pilot. And it was very few times, but there was a couple of times that we would, uh, there was only one time that I ever was on a plane that he was flying the plane. And that was in the sixth grade. That's been a while back. But whenever we would fly on what they called a pass, my dad could get passes for his kids. And so we would fly at a cheaper rate. It wasn't for free. It was a cheaper rate. There's taxes to be paid. And so here's what he would tell us. Now you got to wear a shirt and tie. You got to you got to appear uh, upright and sober and clean and and because you're a reflection of me and you're a reflection of the airlines. Well, so as a kid, this is what I remember. Getting on the plane and they would give us a little pin to stick in our shirt, you know, airline wings like we were the pilot. And somewhere in time, that was all lost. People started getting on airplanes in sweatpants, sweatshirts. And now we have a society that's riddled with casual. Well, we call it casual. I have other words. Like it never mattered. Like it doesn't matter. I so appreciate the, the distinction in our community of that which he made in the beginning, he made them male and he made them female. And there are still some restroom doors that have the image, the graphic that says, ah, that's the one. Because of uh, the, the figurine or the image of a, a man and the way he is dressed, apparently. There's no face. You can't even see the color of his clothes or anything else. And then the other door, there's a, a woman in, with a dress that symbolifies that's the ladies' room. Now, we are living in a world of confusion. Now they're, they're, they're confused on what to put on the door. How do I identify the door? And so we have seen all kinds of things around our world, because it's the day that we're living in. I was very marked when we were in Enniskillen, Ireland, and walking through the town. Now, fasten your seatbelts. But in society, I'm going to guess and say 60, maybe 70% of all women were wearing dresses. I didn't even know that existed in the world anymore. 70%. They weren't church folk. They weren't believers. They were just women. And I was touched by that. I was marked by that. I have such great appreciation for you maintaining the distinction of 
the sexes. Because God had preserved in his word, he that made them in the beginning made them male and female. Protect that which is that God has sanctified and called holy. Protect it. Protect it. You know, you can, you can call it a bridge. You can call it a fence. You can call it whatever you want to do. It is for the protection of the sanctity of our mind and our spirit. Because when we let the bridge down, when we let the, when we take the fences down, we, we lose a protection that is upon our life. I'm just telling you, praise God. You said, share what's on my heart. That was, came to mind and was in my heart. Amen. Please come and greet this wonderful group of people. Amen. Um, thank you for being here today. And I'm very, very glad to be here today. And um, I concur with what my husband said. Um, different places we go, there's, there's always different distinctions by culture. And um, you can hardly go anywhere in the world and see beauty that trumps Washington State. I'll tell you that right now. And we've been around the world. Beauty that trumps, that's better than the state of Washington. But what I do love is getting immersed in the culture in every place we go. And it's always a blessing. It was a blessing to see the, the work that's trying to take place. And that is taking place by faith in Inniskillen, Northern Ireland, and the beautiful people there. And we really don't realize how great we have it. I'm always reminded of that. Sometimes it's a third world country and I see the poverty and I think, wow, I really don't realize how good I have it. But over there, sometimes it's still the animosity between Protestant, between Catholic and, and, and the way they live. And what I heard so much in Ireland was, oh, you're from America. No, they didn't say it like that. I can't do their accent. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't even try. But it, it, some of them I couldn't even understand. And I loved, loved them so much. And the kindest people you've ever met in your life. Um, they're like, I want to go to America. One Uber driver said, I want to go and I want to drive Route 66. <laughs> My husband said, Oh, that's a romantic idea, but I don't know about that. And they're all, the butchers in the butcher shop, oh, I want to go to America. And some of them were young people, and I thought, well, we're going to have an Airbnb. Call me here, right here. I'll make it happen for you because we want to introduce them, of course, to God. But I'm so glad to be back, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to go. Life Church gave towards, we were celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary, and we it was acknowledged a couple of years ago, and we got some gifts from Life Church for that we were able to use towards this trip 
eventually we were able to go. But most of all, I'm so thankful we got to spend time with the missionaries in Ireland. And we met people everywhere we went. And Bishop would always look for a door to, you know, introduce Jesus. And I'm so thankful to be home, to be home and to be with you and a kindred spirit. And and really, when you can I just say that travel is overrated? Much so. Be be thankful. Be thankful where you are today. Be thankful for your family. Be thankful for the things that we have here in America. They don't have it around the world. Be thankful for the freedom of Jesus' name, being able to say it out loud. And in a skill and the, the oneness is so, when you say the oneness, they think you're from another planet. The oneness of, of the Godhead. And the Guzmans just lost a building they'd been renting for a while and had a good relationship with them. Once they realized they're the oneness, we can't rent from you no more. You're either Protestant or you're Catholic. And while we were there and the day after we left, there was a Protestant parade. We have to put up with other parades being celebrated. But there, it's the Protestant parade going down, making a statement going downtown. And so to share the gospel of Jesus' name, baptism, and, and who Jesus is in all of his deity, the persecution that is there on the Guzmans, is, it, it's starving them. They need so much more fellowship than what they're getting and support and prayer support. So remember this. That's their name, the Guzmans, missionaries to Ireland. Pray for them, I ask. And thank you for having us today. God bless you in Jesus' name. I will dismiss teachers. We are running on a light teacher crew today. We appreciate our teachers, but the Martinez are out sick. She's one of our teachers. The Sanchez are taking a well-deserved vacation in Idaho and witnessed three of their family getting baptized yesterday. I got some pictures and videos. I thank God for that. It was a special time and getting them connected to a church there where they are. Got to meet a man that was pastoring in that city that actually came to the men's conference. Just God ordained, we believe, and so they're connected and they're in service there today. So remember them, the Hartleys are on vacation there in Idaho and everybody's not moving to Idaho. They're just vacationing there. And uh, so, but just remember the ones traveling, the ones that are sick. We'll dismiss children ages four to 11 today, four to 11. Amen. Brother Joey is also, he's healing, but he's not quite out of the woods yet. He has pink eye and that's highly infectious, they say. So uh, he's our third teacher down and, uh, we appreciate our teachers, so thank God for Sister Stephanie and Sister Autumn today, and uh, all of those and different ones that teach. Sister Mary helps so many different ones. We thank God, and they rotate through that. Amen. I'm glad you're here today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I would like you to go with me to the Word of God, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. I was... It was interesting to me to hear of the uh, uh, 
what Bishop described there in Enniskillen with the attire. Uh, Brother Ethan and I, when we went to Guatemala in March, um, I've told you about our six and a half, seven and a half hour, 128 mile drive. And uh, we thankfully we stopped periodically along the way. Um, but I remember stopping and getting out at different places and thinking, man, you know what, those, those ladies over there, they look like they have like long hair. They're dressed very modestly. They have on this attire. And I, I was thinking, man, everywhere we're going, I'm seeing this. This is wow. This, and then we got to Iowa Catan, and I realized probably, I don't know, Ethan could correct me. I'd say probably 80, even maybe even as many as 90 percent. It was just accepted that way in pockets. Uh, at times, you could see what is known as Western influence. Western influence. And it sort of grieved me. Not sort of, it really did grieve me because I thought this is not the influence I would want America to have on the world. That women would expose more, wear less, think less of themselves. And but that's what America has done. It's painted that picture. And so I saw it in pockets in Guatemala. Um, and I thought, I, I would probably, if I spoke the language, I might have done it. But I, there's a few times I wanted to go up to a couple of groups of young people and say, hey, can I just tell you something? What you see and have over here is so precious and beautiful. Don't trade it for something you've seen on a screen that's portrayed as being beautiful. It really did grieve my heart. It really did grieve my heart. So I thank God for the church. I thank God for the church. The church is a light in the world. Men and ladies, you are a light to the world. People notice, they see your countenance and the glory of God. The book of Luke chapter 15 Familiar to many of us, I want to just dive right in today. I believe the Lord would help us today. Starting with verse 15, or starting with verse 1. Then drew near unto him, him is Jesus Christ. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. I want you to hold on those two verses just a moment, because those two verses are what the rest of the chapter hinge on. Everything else that we'll look at here in this brief chapter hangs on those two verses. The setting is painted for us. If we were setting a stage, you this is the stage. You, you have to see the picture so you understand what follows. Here is Jesus. Jesus is wherever he is. I don't know if it's an open public place. I don't know if he's at a restaurant. I don't know. But wherever he is, there he is. And people are drawn to him. 
The Bible says they drew near to him. That tells me something about Jesus. He was approachable. People were comfortable getting around him. He was approachable. They drew near to him, not only, but they drew near to him with purpose. They drew near to him, it says in verse 1, to hear him. That doesn't just mean, oh, I want to hear what he says. I think if you look at the context here, you realize that they were, they were wanting to listen to the things he had to say. They were interested in what he was saying. It wasn't just, oh, let's hear, like we're curious. It was when he speaks, it does something I want to hear. And so they got close because they wanted to hear what he had to say. He was approachable and he had something to say that people wanted to hear. But notice the people that want to hear and that are drawn to him. It is, it is publicans, it's sinners, it's people that are rejected by society, looked down, especially in this time in, in a very religious city. They were drawn to him. They were drawn to him. And isn't it funny, ironically sad, really? The religious, they're murmuring about this. That word murmuring literally means to complain. They're complaining. And they're like, look, he eats with the sinners. Like, how dare he be caught with them? I mean, does he know that to rub off on him? I'm paraphrasing, but yet they were finding fault with this and murmuring about this. Now, you understand, Jesus, I don't believe for a moment that Jesus was walking into the middle of some things. There's lines and degrees we have of separation, right? I'm going to reach to the alcoholic, but I'm not going to go sit in the bar and see if I can minister to them. Does that make sense? So there's there's life, but but we are in the world. We're not of the world, but we are in it, and they should be drawn to the spirit of God that's within us. So this is the setting. You have this picture. You have this murmuring. And the Lord Jesus is so stirred by the religious response that he begins to talk to them and tell them some stories because he wants them to understand how he thinks and his perspective on their wrong thought and complaint and why he's doing what he's doing. Hurry in verse 4. So he starts this story. What man of you having a hundred sheep? Now he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, you understand the publicans and sinners are hearing all this, but he's now addressing the murmuring crowd that's finding fault with the ones that are drawn to him and that he's spending time with. Which one of you who has a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that's lost till he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, verse 7, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Verse 8, either what woman having ten pieces of silver if she lose one piece, does not light a candle, sweep the house, seek diligently till she find it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends, her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say to you, 
There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You talk about a contrast to what the religious were finding fault with. We need to see and recognize the heart of God here. He's revealing something to us about the kingdom in this setting. And you and I live and work and walk in this world every day. And notice the Lord references which of you having a lost sheep. He makes a statement in another place, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was declaring, hey, these publicans and sinners, these are lost sheep to me. You are my, you are my people. You're the sheep of my pasture. I have sheep that are not yet in the fold. Them also I must bring. This is the heart of God that's speaking here in this setting. When he's relaying this story, they may be publicans and sinners to you, but this is a lost sheep of mine to me. And I, I'm telling you, I'd go out of my way for one. For one. And when I go for that one, something happens when I get to them and I'll pick them up. I'll do what I've got to do. I'll do the labor. I'll do the work. I'll get them on my shoulder to get them back. And when they see what I'm doing and they respond, there's only one response to him. It's a response of repentance. And when they repent, something happens. There's joy in heaven over Over one sinner that repents, heaven has joy. He goes on with the story of a lost coin. Unable, probably doesn't even know it's lost. It's such a state past feeling. The sheep had feeling. The sheep could make noise. The coin is past feeling. The coin is silent. Maybe doesn't even know it's lost. It's still in the house. But he says there's a diligent searching. A diligent searching. That's a going out of the way. That's an exhausting of time and energy and effort. A sweeping of the house doing what they have to do. And when it's found... Notice, in both of these settings here, when the sheep is found and the coin is found, the one who found the sheep and the coin said, I've got to go get my friends because I don't want to rejoice by myself. I want my friends to rejoice with me. Isn't it interesting? There's joy in heaven over a sinner repenting. I, I think that what happens in heaven is born out in the earth. And so the reason the one who found the lost sheep and the lost coin gets their friends and says, let's rejoice, is they're simply living out what's already taking place in heaven. There's a rejoicing in heaven, and so they're saying, come on, let's rejoice. Why? Because thy will be done in earth as it already is in heaven. You're not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so there's a rejoicing in heaven, so we're going to rejoice on earth when one... Sinner, repent. It is the heart of God. 
We find it repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 9 and 13, Jesus makes this very strong statement. He says, go you and learn what it means. Go learn what what means. Go and learn what it means that I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Okay. No, no. And then thankfully he kept going so we know what he's talking. But he says, go learn what it means. I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come. This is the reason I came. I came to call the sinner to repentance. I didn't come for the righteous. I came to call. I came because there's a lost sheep. I came because there's a lost coin. I'm so thankful he came. I was reading the Luke's gospel yesterday. And I'm reading the story of, it's beautiful when you read the first couple of chapters of Luke, you see the overlaid story of, of uh, who is it, Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary. And you see Luke going back and forth between these stories of Zacharias hearing about the coming child. And you hear about Joseph and Mary, the come, and he's going back and forth. And you see this interwoven stuff. And, I, and I'm reading this again, and I, I probably took, too long, probably a couple hours to read two chapters. But I keep seeing, man, he came. He came the extent he went to. Why did he come? He came not to reach the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. And Jesus' declaration is, go and learn what it means that I would have mercy and not sacrifice. I'll tell you what I believe it means. When I would look at the sinner like the Pharisee and the scribe and say, that good-for-nothing scoundrel, their alternative lifestyle, God hates it. He does hate it, but He wants to rescue from them. He wants to have mercy. He doesn't condone it. He wants to reach them and draw them out of it. He looks at the one that's perverted and says, I came to rescue them. I came to rescue them. I came to call sinners to repentance. Mark, Mark said it a different way. He said, the whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke, he says the same thing. This declaration of why he came. It's a calling. I'm telling you, there is a calling from God to every human being on the face of of the earth and the call of God is continuing I believe this day and as loud as it's ever been you understand the calling that Jesus talks about is not just his 33 and a half years of earth really three and a half years of earthly ministry his voice through the man Christ Jesus but it's the very spirit of God calling the very spirit of God drawing the very spirit of God going out I am certain he is working with us and what is he doing the calling of God is reaching to the sinner the calling of God is reaching to the sinner it's a call to repentance you and I when we go to a closet of prayer and begin to intercede for a lost soul or a lost world I'll tell you what we're doing we're joining with him in a call to repentance we're joined with Him in a call that's going out into the earth. This is why He came. He came to call them. He came to call them. And I'm praying like I've never prayed. God, call them. Call the lost soul. Call the backslider. Call the lost loved one. Call the unrepentant heart. Call them. There is a calling to repentance from the Spirit of God. What does it mean to repent? Why is it there would be joy? I'll give you a definition. 
It's not my definition. It's the definition from the word that was used here by Luke when he penned these words of Christ. To repent is to change one's mind for the better. And to heartily amend with a hatred for one's past sins. Read that again. To change one's mind for the better. And to heartily, that's like with your whole heart. To amend, that's to make correction, bring, make it right, to amend. To amend with abhorrence or hatred for one's past sins. That's not, I'm sorry. It is a turning of how I think. And the reason my thinking changes is because I recognized my action and the sin and what it did in my relationship with God. And therefore, I begin to have a hatred for my past action. And I'm responding to the love of God. This is what angels rejoice over. This is what heaven rejoices over when one sinner repents. Let's read on here because he has one other portion of these parables that he's sharing. First, you understand all of chapter 15 is about repentance. All of chapter 15 is the beckon, it's the call of God. It's the call of God. He's, he's sharing out to those that were murmuring because he was eating with sinners. He's sharing out to them the call. He's sharing out to them his heart. He's sharing out to them the kingdom. Why he came. He says a certain man, verse 11, had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. He divided to them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey a far country. And he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he'd spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Keep going. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his field to feed his pigs or swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He arose, came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. No more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You see something in every one of these parables. There is joy in the house. Repentance always is followed by rejoicing. How do you know when you've truly repented? You don't get up and walk away going, man, I sure hope I make it. Let 
Repentance is followed by rejoicing. Repentance is followed by rejoicing. True repentance. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance and that not to be repented of. Paul wrote his letter, and if you read the way it reads in the King James, man, you get confused. He says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I had to write a letter, but I'm not sorry that I wrote the letter. And it, it brought you to repentance, and I'm sorry I had to do it that way, but I'm not sorry that it had its result. I mean, you're like, hold on. But what he's telling them in, in plain English is he's saying, and he's talking about First and Second Corinthians. He's talking about the first letter and what it did. And now he's writing to them again. And he's saying, look, I know that letter I wrote to you. When you got it, it sort of pricked your heart. I know I addressed some things when you read that letter and you felt some of what I was feeling. But it wasn't me. It was the Spirit of God that was reaching to you. And I know that when you read it, you were sorry and it made you sorry. And I, I, I'm sorry like in myself that I made you feel sorry. I, I, but, but I'm not apologizing. This is what Paul was saying. I'm not apologizing for it because I was obeying the Lord when I wrote the letter. And I know it sort of cuts some places in your life. And I'm sorry I had to do that. But I'm thankful that you responded the way you did. Because it produced in you when, when those words I wrote to you came and got a hold of your heart, you had the right response. You came and repented. And you were sorry towards God. That's what godly sorrow is. Godly sorrow isn't like God gives me sorrow. Godly sorrow is I recognize the results of my actions and I realize I bring sorrow to God with my action. And when I realize my action brings God's sorrow, I repent. Paul said, I'm thankful that happened. Because godly sorrow worketh repentance. Now, watch. Repentance is a lifestyle. We like to make repentance a one and done. Now, it should be that now somebody going, oh, okay, so I can just keep doing whatever and I'll just keep repenting. No, 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 no. But repentance is a lifestyle. Why is it a lifestyle? Because the Lord will deal with us in an area of our lives and we'll repent. What does it mean we'll repent? We'll change our mind how we think about that for the better. We'll heartily seek to amend that action or the results of that action. And then we'll hate that which we used to do. So that we won't return to it. That's repentance. And so when that becomes a lifestyle in my living for God, this is why the initial coming to God is an act of repentance. It doesn't say the angels in heaven rejoice because somebody got baptized. It doesn't even say they rejoice because someone got the Holy Ghost. And I thank God for those things. But it says they rejoice over one that repents. I think it means truly repents. Why? Here's why I believe it. If you have someone that truly repents, baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost are just going to, it's just going to happen. It's going to follow. It's going to follow. True repentance. So I, I want to I turn slightly. I'm not changing subjects. But we talk about this. I, I'm sure this is, I've read this a hundred thousand, maybe a thousand times. I don't know. I'm 50 years old, probably a thousand times. There is 
in this parable, Jesus told us how to repent. You ever go, I want to repent. I think I have, but I'm not sure. He told us how. And so we're going to look at the word here in these last few minutes at how to repent or to know we've repented or where we're at in the repentance process. The scripture tells us there's a doctrine of repentance. I think I found it. We need to live and walk in this. As we live and walk in repentance, it becomes a part of our lifestyle. We grow then in the grace and the stature of Christ. If we don't have a lifestyle of repentance, we'll not grow in Christ. Because we'll hit these roadblocks that we continue to walk in areas that the Spirit of God illuminates in our life and the Word of God illuminates, but we continue to live in that cycle of sin at a certain area and we don't get into a place of repentance. And so the Word shows out. Go back to verse 17. We're going to see repentance. The Lord in this parable, the Lord Jesus, gave us this young man as an example and we see him repenting. We get to see repentance. Now, we, we understand his situation, right? He, he went from a good situation, his original state. He was born into his father's house. God's original design with Adam was that we would be born into his house. But because of sin, Adam fell. And sin, or because Adam fell, sin, sin entered into the world. And so you and I, like David declared, we're born in sin, we're shaping in iniquity. And so the goal is to get back to the Father's house in right relationship. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about in relationship with the Father. And so this boy wasted his substance. That's what we do when we live according to ourself. That's what he did. He took what the Father had for him and wasted it for himself. That's living for self. That's sin. And he found himself at the bottom of the proverbial barrel. Feeding pigs. You understand, he's talking to Jews. Jews feeding pigs, that's the lowest of the lows. They wouldn't even eat pigs. And now he's working with the pigs, and he's eating what the pigs eat. That's the lowest of lows. Sometimes the Lord will allow people get to the lowest of lows to bring them to repentance. That's not the punishment of God. That's the mercy of God. Go and learn what it means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice would destroy the young man. But mercy says, I'm going to keep him alive, but I'm going to get let him get to the very bottom of bottoms because I know if he gets there, he'll cry out to me. I'll continue to take him down. I'll keep breath in him, but I'll let him keep going until I can bring him to repentance. The desire of God is a call to repentance. He has mercy. He's a God of mercy. And so this young man is in this place. And so now he enters into repentance. Verse 17. Watch. Here's the first thing that happens in repentance. And when he came to himself. It's the first thing in repentance. Coming to myself. Well, you got to remember what the word repents mean. It's to change one's mind. The Greek word metanoia is to change one's thinking. So when he came to himself, what it's literally telling us is his thinking reverted. 
how he had been thinking about living. Once he got in that place, here he is down here eating goodness only knows what. And he's like, what am I doing here? How did I end up here? I'm not meant to live here. There's a better way to live. His thinking changed. He had an honest conversation with himself about where he was, about what he was dealing with, about what he was facing. We live in a day and a time when we don't even get to this first step of repentance. We justify, we deny, we ignore, we, we procrastinate. We, you, right, you fill in the blank. We, we, I do a little bit better. I'm not sinning as much, therefore I'm doing better. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I think I've used the example before, right? I used to go into Walmart and steal stuff. Every, this is a joke. I'm, this is hypothetical. <laughs> I used to go into Walmart and steal stuff every day, but I'm doing so much better. Now I only go three days a week. Now, if I tell you that, you're like, well, that's foolish. You're still stealing. But that's what we do in our human nature. We're like, well, you know, I... I, I used to struggle with pornography. I, like every day I'd find myself dealing with it. But now I've got it down to just once or twice a week and I'm doing. What? What? No, it's that's denial. That's deception. No, when he came to himself, he had an honest conversation with himself because of the sorrow that came. He understood his condition. He, he finally, his eyes came open. He saw his state. And he knew if something doesn't change, I'm going to die here. And so the first part of repentance, you got to come to yourself. you got to have your mind. you got to have an honest conversation about the sin. Watch. He said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? And I want you to notice this last statement. He says, I perish with hunger. This is the second part of repentance. A recognition that my current condition, if left unchanged, I'm going to die. Not just die. This word perish here speaks specifically in the Greek and metaphorically of eternal damnation in hell. Perishing without hope of life. He came to a recognition. I see my sin. And I understand the result of it is I'm going to perish. These are the first two critical parts of repentance. This is why we must pray for the conviction from this call of God upon a heart to reach to where they were. Not to bring people to fear. No, but the love of God reaching in and helping them understand your current course is one like this young boy in the story that Jesus shared. You're going to die as a result of your sin. The wages of sin is death. There's a gift. So the second part of it is recognizing my action leads to death, truly. Not just my last breath, but eternal death. So if those things don't happen in my thoughts, 
verse 18, which begins to lead us through repentance. And sometimes I think what happens is we skip verse 17. Or verse 17 starts working in us, and so we weep and cry, but then we don't carry through with verse 18. And so we need the wholeness of these two verses for true repentance. Notice what he said. There's three things he says here. Well, there's more than three, but watch. I will arise. I will go to my father. I will say to him. I will arise. I will go. I will say. These are steps in repentance. These are a path to repentance. I want you to watch this. To arise, literally, the word, this, the word is so beautiful. The word, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he was talking to this group. Here's what I'll do. First, once my thinking has changed, once I've recognized this action that I'm involving myself in is sin, and this action will lead to death, then the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to arise. Once my mind changes, I'm going to arise. What it means to arise? It's those who leave a place to go elsewhere. Those who prepare themselves for a journey. So when I, my thinking changes and I see that death is the end, then something happens. Then I'm like, oh, hold on a minute. I can't continue to stay in this place. I have to leave this place. Now, that doesn't, some people, this is why some people, they go, you know what? I know what I'll do because of this addiction I'm battling. I'm going to pick up and I'm going to move to a different city. I'm not saying that doesn't help at times. But I, I picked up a young man a few months ago or a few weeks ago, I can't remember. And his name was Joshua. And I picked up Joshua and he got in my car and within 30 seconds he was weeping when he saw the church card. And he said, oh man. That was literally what he said. Oh man, I'm trying to get my life right. He said, I just moved here two months ago. I left California to come here. I was trying to get away from bad situations. I was involved in drugs and things I shouldn't have been. And man, I've only been here two months and I'm already right back in the middle of it. Why? No true repentance. And so it, you see people, what they're doing, they're trying to repent. This is an element of repentance. This, I will arise. It's, it's, a leaving of a place to go somewhere else. That is an element of repentance. But it, it's not a physical thing. It may involve that at times. But more than anything, it's a spiritual understanding. I'm not going back to this place where I continue to sin. What does that mean? I'm not going back to the bar and just hanging out with my friend. I'll be the designated driver, but I won't drink. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, you know, I, I'll delete this off my phone, but I'll, you know, I'll open my computer and give myself to it still. I, just, I'm just being honest. We, we've got to let the Spirit of the Lord lead us into repentance. If we want to grow, and this is the plan, if we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge and the fullness and the stature of Christ, we have to have a lifestyle of repentance. Now, it, when God calls us to repentance, He doesn't smack us upside the head. He opens to us an understanding of our actions and then in love beckons us to Him so we will repent. And He enables us to do this because we can't do this ourselves. 
So I arise. This is the first thing. He said, I will arise. I'm going to leave the place where I am to go elsewhere. I'm going to prepare myself for the journey. All that's wrapped in that word arise. There's preparation for the journey. You know, when you're preparing for a journey, there's two things that happen. You're like, okay, what do I need to take with me? And if you're like me, it's like, do I really need to take that with me? Right? I want to take as little as possible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to take as little as possible. I picked up a lady the other day that was going back to the UK. She had two suitcases. She lives here in Yakima. She had two suitcases. One was the like the standard roll-on that you can put in the overhead bin. The other one was about like this. And so she's wheeling them out her front door. And I thought, well, you know, the courteous thing to do would be to jump out and help her load those. So I'll do that. Man. So I grabbed the little one first, thankfully. And I thought, man, that's pretty heavy. Just the little one. I didn't know the whole story yet, but then I'm like, man, if that... If this is a one-to-one -one ratio, that big one's going to be heavy. She willed it out here. Man, I don't want to look like... I'm sort of preparing myself for that. Man, I bet that big suitcase weighed 90 pounds. She was going to pay extra for that. I was thinking, my goodness. She told, I said, how long are you going to be gone? Well, she wasn't going to be... Maybe she's taking gifts. I don't know. But I'm thinking about light. I don't want any weight that's going to make it. I don't want to carry any unnecessary weight. What am I doing? I'm preparing for a journey. I'm casting off some things. I'm getting rid of some things. There's some things I'm just not taking with me. That's what it means to arise. Prepare for the journey. And so when God deals with you and I about an area in our life of sin and I want to repent, I got to go, hold on. I'm going to make a journey towards the Lord in this. And there's some things I'm not taking with me. I remember talking with Brother Martin at times about how when he would talk with people, God having delivered him from addiction and him talking with others. And one of the questions he asked, I've asked people since when I've talked with people with addictions because I learned this from Brother Martin. He said, hey, where do you keep your small little just-in-case stash? For those of you that are looking at me like I'm crazy, I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. What a testimony to the goodness of God to deliver us. Amen. But he said, no, people would say, hey, I'm going to stop and I'm going to quit. But they would always keep a small something somewhere stashed, hidden, stored somewhere just in case if they got in a tight bind, they could go get it. And if I'm getting that a little, just check with Brother Martin afterwards. He can set you straight and tell you how it was. But. But no, what. What is that? It's, I'm going to make a journey, but there's some things I shouldn't be taking with me. I'm preparing for a journey. This is repentance. So this is, this is the, you, you seen this? But then he says, I will go. That's a different action in repentance. I will arise is knowing to leave and preparing for the journey. It's interesting. I will go literally means I will pursue the journey. I'll continue on the journey I'll lead and order my life based on the journey. I'll depart from in order to go to. That's what he means when he said, I will go. 
I will go. I'm going to pursue the journey. I'm not just going to say I'm going to make it. I'm not just going to prepare for it, but I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to continue. How often? Every day. Every day. I'm going to order my life based on this journey. This is what Jesus was telling them repentance was. And then I will say, this is very critical. I will say, I begin to declare with my mouth what I have determined in my thinking and what my action has begun to do. I now begin to speak with my mouth. I'm reminded again, I'm not picking on Brother Martin, but he's taught me so much. I remember when he uh, returned to the Lord and he talked about leaving prison for the last time. And he shared the story of how when they would leave, they say, hey, I'll see you later. You know, you know, we'll be back. We'll see you later, whatever. And he told me how when he left the last time, he told the guys, no, I won't be back. Is that true? Said, I won't be back. What is that? That's saying, hey, I am saying with my mouth. I have been preparing for a journey. Talked about years in solitary with just him and the word of God. What was happening? He had already recognized some things. He'd been through some of these processes. And now all of a sudden he said, now I'm saying with my mouth. He arose in the cell. But when the door opened and they said, now you can go. He said, I'm going. I'm continuing on the journey. And now I'm saying with my mouth, I will not be back. Some of you have to say, I am done with this. I will not return to it. I will not pick it up again. I will not open the door to it again. I will not entertain it again. I'll not give in to the lust, the desire, the affection again. I'll not give room to it again. I am walking in repentance. I will say. Now here, why is this so important? But watch. Sometimes this is what happens. We want to skip or leave out steps. Maybe I, maybe I come to myself. I have the right thing. I, my thinking gets corrected. I realize I'm going to die. But then I'm like, I'm going to jump over the arising and the going. I'm not going to prepare for the journey. I'm not going to plan to leave a place. I'm not going to continue on in my journey and begin ordering my life. But I am going to start saying the stuff. Does that make sense? And so that's what happens. Some people will get to that point, and this is what it might look like. Not always, but this is what it might look like. They'll be in a church service or a Bible study or one-on-one with a child of God, and the Word of God comes and convicts their heart, grips their heart, and they recognize their sin, and they have a change of thinking about the way they used to think about something. And they, they come to an altar or sitting there across the table from you or in the vehicle, whatever. Tears begin to flow down their face, and they feel the sorrow of God for their action. And so they begin to cry and weep. And then they, but they don't arise and they don't go. So they don't prepare for the journey. They don't purpose to let go of relationships and things they've held to that bring them back into that sin. But they do say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to do it anymore. You know what? I'm going to stop drinking. You know what? I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop. I'm not trying to pick on something. I'm just telling. I'm going to stop. And, and so they, they've done part, but they've left out the arise and the go. There are steps in repentance, and we need every part of it. We never part of it. This is how we overcome. Jesus told us how to overcome in repentance. I'll say. I'll arise, I'll go, and I'll say. Now I want you to, and I'm finishing here. I want you to notice the power of what he says. Because what he says is just as critical in repentance. 
I have sinned. That's an acknowledgement. So he's not in denial here, right? Where he started, he's still there. I have sinned. But notice what he says. I have sinned against heaven. This is the first recognition. I have sinned against heaven. It, Jesus relaying this, it's not surprising, of course. It fully aligns with what the psalmist David declared when he was repenting. David had sinned by taking Bathsheba. David had sinned by killing Uriah. But then when David declares his prayer of repentance, you may remember his prayer is this, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done this great evil in your sight. What was he acknowledging? I have sinned against heaven. It affected other lives. But the recognition is my sin, first and foremost, is a sin that violates my relationship with God. Yes, it affects others. Yes, it affected Bathsheba and Uriah. Yes, it affected others. But first and foremost, my sin is a violation of heaven, my relationship with God. And this is what Jesus is saying through the young man that is in a place of repentance. I'm going to rise, I'm going to go, and I'm going to say, and my acknowledgement is, my sin is against heaven. My sin adversely affects my relationship with God. This is why a sinner repenting causes rejoicing in heaven. It is a bringing back into right relationship. It's the beginning of a restoring of right relationship with God. The sin that would be against heaven when a, repent, when a sinner repents, now all of a sudden that is being brought back into alignment. This is the beginning of reconciliation. This is the beginning of reconciliation. Man returned to right relationship with God. It always starts with repentance. I've sinned against God, against heaven, and before you. So he's acknowledging first. Now, remember who he's talking about. He's talking about talking to his dad. Right? I will say, I'll go to my father and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and you. So now he's also acknowledging how his sin affected those around him. This is complete repentance. This is complete repentance. Why don't you stand with me? You can overcome sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. This is the design of God for your life. We must walk in repentance. And when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, the Scripture tells you and I, in John 16, I believe that one of the functions of the Holy Ghost is that it reproves sin. So when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, it begins to deal with things in my life. And so what do I do? Now, I don't think this process takes 20 years. 
It starts here. Can't remember who it started with. One of, somebody that used to be one of my pastors in all of my military journeys. I think it was maybe Brother Thornton because he sort of had a lot of one-liners. He'd say, the problem is stinking thinking. That's what he said. The problem is stinking thinking. Right? The Proverbs declares to us, as a man thinketh in his heart, what? Aha. So is he. Why does one continue in sin? As a man thinks, so is he. So what my thoughts tend to, I ultimately find myself walking in. Some people call that self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, no, that's scripture. Whatever you think, that's what you become. It's the word of God. This is why I disagree with AA. Because they teach people, I'm an alcoholic, but I've been sober for 15 years. Well, no, no, if you think you're an alcoholic, but when you come to the Lord Jesus and you truly repent, he that the Son is set free is free indeed. Free indeed. This is true repentance. Now, the young man made it all the way through. Aren't you thankful? He made it all the way through. He made it back to his father's house. Now, but watch. Here's the beauty of this. I'm trying to finish. Here's the beauty of this. He made it through all this process that we just walked through. And he has it all planned. But when he gets and the father sees him a great way off, what is, rem remember the setting? Jesus is surrounded by publicans and sinners who wanted to be near him to hear him. I wonder what they're wrestling with when he's sharing these stories. But the young man, he had a heart to repent. And when he made the move in his journey, the father didn't go. Still waiting. You got a little further to go. When the father saw him a great way off, the Bible said, I'm telling you, this is the heart of God. When you and I or a sinner sets their life to repent, he's watching. He's not wanting you to fail. He's not enjoying your struggle. He's just saying, if you'll start this process, I'm waiting and I'm watching. And the moment you're honest with yourself and you'll begin moving, arise and go and say, and when I see you making those moves, I'll run to you. Why? Because I came to call the sinner to repentance. I didn't come to condemn and smack them. I came to call them to repentance. This is His love for you. This is His love for you. It's a call of the Spirit of God. It's a call of the Spirit of God. Look, you're in different places this morning. All of us are in different places. But I'm opening this altar to you today. Maybe through the Word of God today, you found yourself somewhere on this journey. Or maybe you're saying, I want to step into this journey in some ways in my life. I'm giving you opportunity right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, let Him work in you. Let Him work in you. Let the Word of God have its work in you and I. Jesus, I want to walk in repentance. 
And I want to, as David said, show transgressors the way. See, this is the result. When I walk in repentance, I then begin to show others the way. It's exactly what happened to King David. After he repented, he said, I'll show transgressors the way. And when you and I walk through this process, and then we turn to those that don't know what to do, we can begin to show them the process of repentance. We show them the way. We show them the way. Come on, the love of God is not condemning you. The love of God is not trying to sacrifice and destroy you. Go and learn what it means. I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Give us a heart of repentance. Let me to lay aside things. I mean, to lay aside anything. Come on, that lost loved one, now you know how to pray for them. You can recognize maybe where they are in the journey, and the Lord can give you direction in prayer for their soul. In the name of Jesus, come on, this work of repentance is whole and complete. This work of repentance is full and complete. Come on, this works with addictions. This works with emotional issues. This works with offenses that I have in my spirit. This works with resentment that I may hold on to in every facet, in every way. This is repentance. This is critical for forgiveness of others. I recognize this. I need to repent.